there's an old uh, Russian proverb that goes something like this. Before going to war, pray once. Before going to sea, pray twice. Before getting married, pray three times. Now, for any of you here that's, you know, that you are married or you've been married and certainly maybe more than a year or two, you get the truth behind that. That marriage is not easy. I don't care who you are. John, you need to get on, brother. That's what I'm saying. You know it. Wait a second, John. Wait a second. Your wife's not here. My wife's not here. That's right, you can aim. This is the reason I'm preaching this, then Sunday my wife's not here. Don't tell her we record the sermons, okay? Don't let her know. No, it, marriage is tough. It is hard. I mean, even the most godly person out there, the most godly couple, has to pay attention to marriage. I mean, you've got to take care of it and nurture it and grow it and deal with the issues. I mean, it's a tough day when we realize that that Walt Disney was lying to us about the live happily ever after. Right? We grow up with the fairy tales that tell us that. I remember the story of little four-year-old Susie comes home from preschool one day and tells her mom that she was so excited that her teacher had told her the story of Snow White. And the little girl retells her mom of the story, and she's just so happy about it. She gets to the part, and she says... And then Prince Charming showed up on his white horse and, and kissed Snow White back to life. And then the little girl says, and do you know what happened next, Mama? And the mom said, yes, dear, they lived happily ever after. And the little girl got a frown on her face. She goes, no, they got married. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's funny. They never show us those stories, you know, five years uh, 10 years, 20 years later, they don't show uh, the beautiful princess after half a dozen kids running around and Prince Charming, you know, fat and bald and, you know, all that. They, they don't get to that part of the story. They say, happily ever after. And we grow up with this, like, oh, it's going to be that way. And then one day we wake up and go, man, this is harder than I thought. Marriage is tough. I don't care who you are. Marriage is, 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 is a good thing, it's a wonderful thing, it's a God-ordained thing, but it's hard. Now, this morning, we're continuing through our series of 1 Corinthians. Now, the last couple of weeks, we kind of went out of order. We jumped later in the book to do, because there were some special Sundays we had, but this week, we kind of come back to where we left off. Now, I'm going to admit to you this morning that we have a challenge before us. I, see, I've known that this, this particular passage, set of scripture we're going to look at, has been coming up. And so I've, for several weeks, been uh, really praying over, over the scripture because it's just like marriage, it's tough. In fact, when we get to reading here in just a moment, you're going to hear some things that go, man alive, what is going on? Uh, as we read what Apostle, the Apostle Paul has to say to this church about marriage, and it may, it may shake you a little bit. I mean, th- this is the passage where, you know, Paul tells us, if you get married, you're going to have a lot of troubles in this life. He says that's in Scripture, by the way, if you didn't know it. That's what we're dealing with this morning. Now, 
This morning, the sermon is titled, Marriage Matters. Now, it's entitled that for two reasons. One, because as we read in a minute, as we get into 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to see Paul addressing a whole lot of issues, matters, as they relate to marriage. Let me quickly tell you what's going on here. See, Paul was writing to this church, this group of believers, but we also learn these believers were writing to Paul. And they're saying, hey, Paul, uh, how are we really supposed to live out our faith in Jesus Christ? See, these are first-generation believers, right? I mean, this church was, they didn't have their moms and dads raising them up in church. When Paul brought the message of Jesus Christ to them, when he, when he came and established a church, it was brand new. You know, I grew up with, you know, the faith of my parents and the, and my, the faith of my grandparents and even great-grandparents, and I'm sure it goes back farther than that. Plus, I have about 2,000 years of church history telling me what it is to live for Christ. These people didn't have that. See, when that church was established, these people were literally leaving their life behind, and they were living in a culture that was so depraved and so ugly and so nothing about God, and they were being told that not only do you come to Christ for your salvation through, your, through faith in Jesus, but then He gets control of your life. That developing your Christian life is learning to relinquish your control over how you live. In fact, you may even remember uh, a few weeks ago when we were back in chapter 6, we got to this point of reminding us that as a Christian, one of the marks of a believer is that your life, even your physical body, is not your own. It's been bought at a price. It belongs to God. Therefore, you use it for His glory. So these early believers, they're struggling. They get all kinds of questions. How do we handle this and how do we deal with that? And so they're writing to Paul. And I'm thinking, I'll tell you that actually starting here in chapter 7 and in the next little bit that we look through it, Paul is addressing all these questions that these young believers have brought to him. Now chapter 7 deals with marriage because these believers, these, you know, this early church, asked a lot of questions about marriage. I mean, they're going, how am I supposed to deal with this huge part of my life, being married, when I'm a Christian? I mean, they were asking, you know, should I still be married? Should I be, if I'm a Christian, should I be married? Should I be in that kind of a relationship with somebody? They're saying, well, what if, uh, you know, what if we're separated? What if I'm divorced? What if I'm widowed? They were asking a question, what about the people who haven't gotten married yet? Those who are engaged, those who are thinking about getting married. I mean, they're doing all kinds of questions because they're going, how are we supposed to live our life for Christ in this huge way that we interact with? You also have to understand this. That church was not a lot like us in this way. Many, if not most... Of the people in that early church in Corinth, I write to Paul, they were split families. I mean it like this. There was probably, you know, the wife had come to Christ, but the husband had not. Or the husband had, you know, become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and the wife had not. You know, we were, we've been told, don't be unequally yoked. I mean, Christ affirms us, you're not, you know, it's not healthy to be married, to be united with a non-believer if you are. Because it causes problems. In fact, we'll see some of that this morning. But here, I mean, this early church, they can't help it. These men and women, they're coming to Christ. And sometimes they mean they're doing that, and not their whole family is coming with them. 
And so they're saying, how am I supposed to still be a, a husband or a wife? How am I supposed to deal with this marriage, no matter what state it's in, and be a Christian? And so they asked Paul, I mean, one thing after another. I mean, they just asked him a whole bunch of questions about how to be married, how to approach marriage, and be a follower of Christ. And so chapter 7 deals with all that. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning this morning before we read, before we turn to Scripture. I know I'm taking a few minutes here, but it's worth it you understand. Now, I'm doing something I don't typically do on a Sunday morning. We're going to read the whole chapter, and I'm just going to tell you right now, don't get scared, it's, but it's long. It's 40 verses. We've got to do the whole thing. That does not mean that I'm preaching until Tuesday or something, okay? Don't get scared, but it's, it's a long passage. and We need to see the whole thing. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, as we go through it, uh, it you know, there's a, a whole lot going on. It's kind of easy to get lost and kind of get lost in the little details here and there. Plus... As Paul is addressing all these matters as it relates to marriage, it's going to seem like, at times, there's a few verses. In fact, early on, we're going to see some verses that it, it seems like Paul is saying some bad things about marriage. It's going to appear that kind of Paul has a low view of marriage. I'm just going to tell you that right now. But I'm going to also tell you that what we're going to see, if you'll stick with me, if you'll be patient, if you'll stick the Lord in this, you're going to realize that not only does these verses, this chapter in 1 Corinthians, deal with all these marriage matters, it's going to help affirm that marriage matters. That it is important to God and how we deal with our marriages or the potential one day getting married and how we deal with all this and our relationship with God is extremely important. It's, it's a long passage, I know. It's tough at times. But I want you to stick with me as we read this. I'm gonna, just going to start chapter 7, verse 1, and I'm going the whole way through, okay? It's going to take me a couple minutes to read it, but I want you to pick up on what's happening here. Just try to look at the Scripture as we read through it. Now for the matters you wrote about, Paul says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since... Sexual immorality is occurring. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. All the husbands are going, yeah, all right. But now wait a second when it continues on. And said in the same way, in the same way, husbands, we need to pay attention to that sometimes, does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. 
For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her unbelieving husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision and, and is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's, is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were when God called them. We're on verse 25. We're, we're getting close. We're working on it. It says this, Now that virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin married, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as though if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world are as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned after the affairs of this world. How he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs, 
Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if, he is, if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who was under no compulsion but has control over his will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. All right, everybody take a deep breath. All right, we made it the whole chapter, and that's a, that's a pretty big chunk of Scripture with a lot in it. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit that that section of Scripture is probably best handled kind of in a Bible study setting. When we have an hour, even two, to you know, go by verse by verse and look at all the little nuances, deal with all the questions and all that kind of thing. That's, that, that kind of passage lends itself to more of a study time. And so I admit that this morning, for the, for the time we do have, I can't address every question. I can't look at every single verse. Um, if you want the Bible study, call me. Come by the office this week. Let's sit down for an hour. Let's go over it. That's great. I love Bible study. But the thing is, I want you to understand, my intention for you this morning, and really any Sunday morning when we come to the message, I'm not really looking for you to leave this place saying, I sure learned a lot this morning. Now, learning things, learning about Scripture is good. And I hope you came to Bible study this morning beforehand and learned some things. But my main concern is not that you learned a bunch of knowledge. I don't need you walking out of here and saying, I learned everything I needed to know about 1 Corinthians 7. Because then what good is that for you out in the world? I want you to encounter God through His Word and understand how what He has to say to you impacts your daily living and strengthens you in your walk with Christ. So with that in mind, again, I say, I'm not going to address every little thing. If you have questions about why did this verse say it like that, come ask me. Let's talk about it. I love to have a good Bible study. But what I want you to get, and the reason why we looked at that whole chapter, all 40 verses, is I want you to get the central truth, the main idea, the take-home point that all this chapter is talking about. And I will tell you, I promise you, as one who just spent weeks going through and praying through this, there is an awesome truth contained in the Scripture that impacts our life to the extreme. And it's a wonderful blessing if we can get to it. Now, sometimes when we look at Scripture, the truth, the kind of the take-home thing, how does this impact my walk with Christ, is readily evident. I mean, it's just right there. You can see it. You know it. Some passages, like we're looking at this morning, it's not just obvious. Saying, well, God, what does this mean for my life? So to get to it, 
to kind of get to the truth of how this should affect you and how it affects me, how it affects your relationships, whether you're married or unmarried, we kind of got to get through a couple of things. We need to this morning ask a couple of questions to help us wade through some of the, the issues of what we've read. If you're going to stick with me, if you're willing just to just stay engaged with the Lord and His Word, if we can ask a couple of questions about this passage, it's going to really bring us to a good place. So two questions this morning. Now the first question I'm going to tell you this morning is actually, is one of the a question I use when I study Scripture, I use it all the time. It's actually the, one of the most useful tools I've ever been given to study Scripture. It's a simple question. This applies to this passage and applies to pretty much any other passage you would read in the Bible. It's really awesome if you learn how to use it correctly. It's the question, is it descriptive or prescriptive? Now, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about, so let me quickly explain. You can really look at any Bible passage and say, is this passage describing something that happened, something specific God did or He told His people for that specific time and situation, meant to stay in that situation, or is it prescriptive? Is it prescribing something to you and to me that it should affect how I live today? Let me give you a quick example. Now, just hang with me because, again, if you'll use this, it'll help you in Bible study all around, and it's going to help us this morning. In fact, I'm going to use this in upcoming weeks. Let me give you an example of a descriptive passage in the Bible. Think back to the Old Testament. There's plenty of them there. Old and new. Think back to Joshua and the Israelites and the Battle of Jericho. Right? What did God say to do? He says, march around the city for seven days. On the seventh day, march around seven times, blow your horns, yell, and walls will come tumbling down. That is a descriptive passage. I can't, there is nothing in the Bible that says that if I'm going, if I'm, gonna, if, if I'm in an army, if I'm conquering something, that I should walk around it just like they did then, and it's guaranteed, God promised, that the walls are going to come tumbling down. If I do that, I'm most likely going to be embarrassed unless God chooses on His own to say, yep, that's exactly how I'm going to do it again. That described something that happened. Now, descriptive passages are awesome. They show us miracles. They teach us things about how God interacts with His people and you know, what we're supposed to do when God speaks. And there's wonderful lessons in descriptive passages. But we have to understand that there are times when God says, do this, and it's meant not for us today to do exactly that. It is for that situation. We're to learn from it and study it and preach about it and all that kind of stuff. But it's a descriptive passage. Okay? There's also prescriptive passages, meaning, again, that he says, God says, do this, and that was meant for then, and it's meant for now. I mean, the clearest example, and there's plenty of them, again, Old and New Testament. There's plenty of examples, but the clearest one is Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, he was not, that's not a descriptive passage of only to those people, only to the disciples in that room. No. It's prescriptive. It's for them and for us. And when Romans 10.9 tells us, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved, that's a prescriptive passage. It didn't mean only the people that was written to. 
You get the difference. If you're with me this morning, if you haven't fallen asleep, say amen. amen. That's about 90% of you. Okay, 10% of you are gone. It's all right. So there's a difference between descriptive, here's what happened, learn from it, but it was for then, and prescriptive, it, I'm, I told you this then, and it's the it, same thing now. Okay. You heard, I hope you absorbed or took in most of this chapter 7, verse 40, 40 verses about marriage. Is it descriptive or prescriptive? Don't have to answer out loud, because like, I don't want to be wrong. Okay? Is it, just think for a second, is it descriptive? Is it only for that situation? Or is it prescriptive for us today? The well, answer is it's both. That's kind of a trick question for you this morning. It's both, okay? And let me, let me stay with me a couple minutes. This is really going to help us, okay? First of all, Paul was addressing their specific situation. As I've already told you this morning, they were living in a, in a kind of a setting that was different from you and me. The only thing similar was the world that surrounded them was so heathen and ungodly, it's unbelievable. I mean, even more so than it is today. They were, they were surrounded by people who said, you could just do anything you want. Nothing was taboo. All is acceptable. And these people are trying to learn to live for Christ. And again, they're dealing with some unique situations. Again, I told you, a lot of them, and again, they're dealing with the wife is saved and the husband is not, and then a split family, and you know, hey, we were, you know, we divorced or we're splitting up or, you know, I, all these different things. And he's talking about that situation. There is a descriptive nature of saying, hey, guys, the situation you are in, I'm speaking to you directly. In other words, what I want you to grasp, this, this chapter is not the all-encompassing uh, instruction on marriage. It's not. And you're going to see why it's not in a minute. There is definitely a descriptive nature to it. There is definitely this idea of telling you guys in the situation you are in how to handle it. For example, he's talking to all these single people, whether they've been divorced or they've widowed or engaged to be married but not yet married or just completely single. He's talking to them a lot. What does he keep going after? If you can, stay single. If Paul's advice was prescriptive for all the years, then our churches would be mainly filled with single people. God ordained marriage. Jesus affirmed it. Marriage is a great, awesome thing. Why is Paul saying to them, if you can, it really should be that you should stay single. If you're single, try to stay that way. Because they were surrounded by so many people who weren't following Christ. I mean, the options of... of Marrying another believer were pretty limited. And he sees all these single people from whatever manner they are single and realizing, hey, you could easily get married, but it's probably not to the right person. If you can, if you can, stay single. Okay? That's a descriptive thing to what they are dealing with. This idea that Paul saying, if you're single, you really should try your hardest, if at all possible, stay that way, is descriptive to what the Corinthians were going through. So I'm not going to tell you today, if you're single or a youth or whatever situation you find ourselves in, that Paul said you better not get married, and or marriage, marriage is the second best thing or anything like that. No, 
That goes against God's word and what he tells us about how he created marriage. Descriptive. But it's prescriptive as well. Because in the same time, Paul is dealing with their issue. And there's truth in what he's saying. He's not saying anything wrong. There's a nature that still speaks to us today about how we are to approach marriage as it relates to our walk with God. There's still very much in this passage, and one of the reasons I'm willing for us to look at it and study it and talk about it is because there's still very much for us to learn about marriage as it relates to our walk with Christ. So there's a descriptive and a prescriptive nature. Very important you understand that. I'm sorry if I'm putting on my professor hat for 10 minutes, but it's worth understanding. It helps you come to Scripture. And it's getting us a little bit closer to the central truth, the important point that is going to affect you and your walk daily. Now, another question is this. This question is just specific to this passage. The question is simply, what's Paul's problem with marriage? Man, I mean, really, did you? I mean, he's saying, he's out there going, the verse that says, if those, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And if you can't stay single as I do, because it's better. And, you know, he's saying, you know, it's really good that a man and woman shouldn't be together unless they really have to. And it's a concession. Like, what is Paul's deal with marriage? Why, why is he so upset about it? Again, you're going to see in a minute, he's really not upset about it. He's got a problem that he's trying to let them know. Now, Nobody can prove this. It's not even important that we do. See, a lot of people believe, and there's a good case to make, that Paul was once married. Again, you can't prove it. But Paul, because he says before he became a follower of Christ, I mean, he was a Jewish man who lived according to the law, and he was in the leadership. And the law stated back then to hold certain positions, you had to be a married man. Now, there's nowhere written, there's nothing that says Paul was married. We can't guarantee it. So don't take that as scriptural absolute truth. But it's a possibility. Some say that he was married and he became a follower of Christ and said, i got to do all these things with Jesus. And wife said, uh-uh, I can't go there. And I'm gone. And maybe that's why Paul said, hey, if you're married to an unbeliever and that person is refusing to stay there with you in the marriage and they run off because of your faith, you got to let them go. Now, again, we don't know that for sure. But, and that doesn't really explain... That's not a good reason of like why Paul's upset about marriage because he got jilted or something like this. But here's what Paul can tell us. He lets us know, and this is, this is true, that in one aspect of your life, if you are married, this thing will be harder for you. You know what that is? Following Christ wherever he sends. See, Paul is saying, hey, God is telling me the things I'm supposed to do in the name of Jesus, where I'm supposed to go. And I mean, Paul got into the most dangerous and terrible situations. And he's saying, it's easier for me because I'm not thinking about the wife back home, the family. And he's saying, hey, if you can be single over the time of your life that God has called you into not being attached in a marriage relationship, following Christ is so much easier. Because your only concern is Him. And as soon as you get married, as soon as you enter in that union, your concern is also for your spouse and for your family as it should be. 
God's not going to put you in a marriage relationship and say, you really shouldn't care what your husband, your wife, thinks about these things. He doesn't do that. Paul is telling you that if, if God has put you in a place of being single, and he, you know He's called you into that, however you've gotten there, whether you haven't gotten married or you've widowed or whatever, if you're single, unless you know God is calling you into a marriage relationship, that take the blessing of that doing the things God has called you to do is easier. That's not a negative thing. I'm not knocking marriage down. It's just true. I mean, I see it in my own family. We have, we have moved places because God has called me to serve in churches. And when God says, all right, Greg, I think this is, I'm having you serve in this way. There's going to be a change here. Something's happening. My heart is not only for what God has called me to do. My heart is also for how this is going to affect my family. As it should be. God doesn't want me to not even consider my wife and my kids. And so it is harder to just immediately follow God into the things He wants you to do when you are married. It's just the truth. It's just what it is. It's not that marriage is bad. It's negative. You should, you know, should never you know, get involved in a marriage relationship. It's not that. You're just saying, if God has allowed you to be in a place of single, being single, enjoy the blessing. Because being obedient to God is easy. Now this gets us one little step closer to where we can understand the truth for all of us here. Because here, here it is. Here's the take-home point, the, the central truth that matters to you and to me. Your relationship with Christ is more important than your marital status. Let me say it again. And I would say this even if my wife was present today. Because it's true. Your relationship, your walk with Christ is more important than your marital status. So that means if you're single... Take the blessing. There's, it's easier to do things in Christ because you're just focused on Him. If you're going to be married, you'd better pay, pay attention because guess what? As soon as you get married, even if you marry another believer, you're going to be thinking about that person too and how you're going to serve God. So you better pay attention carefully to who you unite with in marriage. In other words, and this is for our young people there, don't rush into getting married. Pay attention to it. Pray over. Make sure God is calling and blessing that union. And if you're already married, one, you already know that marriage is hard, but that if you want a good union with your spouse, with your husband or your wife, if you want to be able to serve God faithfully, if you want a happy and pleasing marriage, your relationship with Christ must come ahead of your marriage relationship. It has to. Friends, I'm convinced there is no, there is no true happily ever after on this earth. That, that comes the day my physical life ends and I'm there with God. On this earth, we struggle, we strive, we work hard. And that includes our marriage relationships. But you know, the closest I can get 
to happily ever after? Just the closest I could possibly get in that marriage relationship is not to focus all my attention and all my effort and all my desire to please another person, to please a spouse, to please my wife. It is to put Christ first in my life. And when I put Christ first above my marriage or even my decision to get married, if that's the situation you find yourself in, if I put Christ above all those things, then you know what begins to happen? Those marriage matters, those issues related to marriage, they begin to get a little bit easier. The answers come a little quicker. The marriage will be a little bit stronger simply because you're focusing first on Christ. Your relationship with Christ is more important than your marital status. So here's the truth of it. This whole chapter, 40 verses, marriage this and marriage that, and if you're married, if you're widowed, if you're single, if you're engaged, if you're this and that, really, in the end, this whole chapter is not about marriage. It's saying marriage is a good thing, but it's also a hard thing. But above all that, beyond all the questions and issues, and should I or could I or whatever, is Christ of first priority in your life. And if He is not, if He is not first in your life, whether single or married, man, you can just count on troubles coming. So I'm reading all these verses about marriage and reminded in the end, it's not so much about marriage. Marriage is actually an awesome thing. It's a God-ordained thing. So God can bless it. When you take that oath, when you take that vow, God wants you to honor that. Paul talked about the importance of of trying to reconcile. He talked about, you know, if even if that person is a non-believer, you know, don't don't let that separate. You know, you should, you know, take care of one of their needs and you should, I mean, all the stuff. It's all great. It's all important. But it's all secondary to your relationship with Christ. Paul's trying to say this, whether you're married, unmarried, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're slave or free, and all that stuff, is, those things are who you are, but they're not your salvation. They are less than what God has called you to do and where God has placed you. So above your marriage or your singlehood or anything else that you're going with has to be your relationship with Marriage matters to God. But above that, your relationship with Him matters even more. Let's go before the Lord this morning. Let's just, let's, you and Him talking right now. You don't need a book around. Let's just let's close your eyes and begin to talk with God. Even as I talk, you can talk with God. I'm not going to offend me. I don't, this room is full of a variety of situations. There's married, single. Maybe some who are thinking about it's almost time to get married. There's some who have widowed or divorced or separated. Things might be awesome in that marriage. Things might be, well, less than perfect. This room, and there's... 
For every person in this room, there's a different story. And there's a different status. And really, what I want you to walk away from this morning is not all the issues as it relates to marriage. I mean, yes, this passage is worth studying and going back and look at, well, how should I handle that? What should I do about this? But what I, what I really want you walking away from this with is a, is a self-examination of, is my walk with Christ above everything else? Is the priority of my day and my time and my effort and resources, is it more important to me than the time I, yes, I even spend with my spouse or my kids or my friends or my fiancé or whoever it is? Is my relationship, my walk with Christ above all those things? If it is, then no matter what status you are in or will be in, those things will be so much sweeter, so much more blessed because you have put priority Christ in your life. And then let me say this last thing. While you're talking to God right now, examining where your heart is, if you make the mistake, any of you, if you make the mistake, any one of you that thinks that person is responsible for my happiness, whoever that, that wife, husband, future spouse, I, I don't care who it is, if you think that person is responsible to make you happy in this life, you have bought into a lie. That is not their responsibility. Yes, we should serve one another and we should bless one another and help one another. But that other person is not responsible for your happiness. That's between you and the Lord. And if you try to put anybody else in that position, it's going to fail. Because, yes, marriage matters. But it only really matters as it relates to your walk with Jesus Christ, your Savior. Let me pray for all of you this morning. Heavenly Father, I come to this place, and I know, again, in this in this sanctuary, in this, your house, there are a lot of people in a lot of different situations and scenarios. Because we could spend all day, all weekend, talking about all the different things that people are facing going on. But the central truth remains for all of us. That our walk with you, that our relationship with you through the Son, Jesus Christ, is more important than any other relationship we have before us. Before our marriage, for being parents or grandparents or a friend or whoever, your walk, your connection with us, us with you, is, is more important. We should spend more time devoting ourselves to you than any, anything else. Strengthening our walk with you. Focusing on you. And to stop thinking that person, that spouse, that child, that whoever is going to be what makes me happy in this world. Those are lies. This morning, God, let us call them lies that they are. Let us stop thinking that other person is responsible to make me happy. And to say, no matter what situation I have been called to today, just as Paul wrote to those believers back then, to whatever God has called us today, 
I will remain in that and put my relationship with Christ first until God, till you, God, lead me into the next thing, whatever that may be. Our walk with you has to be a priority over everything else. So God, this morning I pray for the brokenhearted, I pray for the hurting, and I pray for the discouraged. I pray for those who, God, who in situations that are just eating them up. I pray for the, for the widows and widowers who hurt because they've lost, lost a spouse. I pray for the men and women who are broken heart, hearted having watched a marriage dissolve. I pray for the, the ones here, whether young or old, who are seeking, should I, be in a, should I get married and when and who, to whom? I pray for the husbands and wives who are still together here today, who are represented in this place, who are striving and working and dealing with all the stuff that comes along with marriage. Yeah. So no matter the situation, I pray that every single person says, but above that, my life, my joy, my peace, my everything is found in Jesus, my Savior. If somebody can't say that this morning, God, I pray that there's just a brokenness on them, that they will come just in repentance and just in humbleness and in seeking you, saying, God, I need, I need to put the priorities back right in my life. I've been trying to think that person's going to make me happier. If I could just get married, I'd be happier. If I could just get out of this thing, I'd be, ha- I'd be happier. What if, God, those things are just wrong. It's you, you above all else. And God, I pray for the brokenhearted that they would not leave that way this morning. That they would leave instead with a song of joy on their heart just filled with peace, not because they found it in another person, but because they found it in their Savior, Jesus. God, we thank you. We love you. We rejoice in this moment you've given us. Let us not waste the opportunity that stands right in front of us this very moment. Let us respond. We pray this by the powerful name of Jesus.